visit the Downtown Den, join us through our website, all the W's, downtowninbusiness.com. Stay in, stay safe, visit the Downtown Den. Nighttime economy czar for Greater Manchester. Um, <laughs> been hugely uh, involved in putting together some great fundraising activities for good causes across the region that we'll talk about a, a little bit later on. Um, but perhaps uh, more importantly, as far as today's conversation is concerned, I want to talk to Sasha about his career today, how he got into uh, the music industry events and that hospitality sector. Uh, we'll also be talking to Sasha about how he sees the future when we come out of the COVID-19 crisis, how the economy can get moving again, and what he thinks the challenges and opportunities will be, particularly for the hospitality sector. So welcome, Sasha. Great to see you. No, thank you. Appreciate uh, you inviting me. Yeah, hey, listen, I think the first thing I'd say before we get into how you uh, sort of have mapped out this career in, in music and events, which has been a, a fascinating career and you've done some great things, um, but the first thing that, that struck me when I first came across you was what a fantastic name Sasha Lord is. And, you know, I'll tell you, and inevitably I'll tell you it, was be, it was going to be related to showbiz in some way, mate, wasn't it? Well, actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, the truth of the matter is it sounds really posh. It's not posh. My mum's from Salford originally. Um, but she was absolutely obsessed with a French singer called Sasha Distel. Sasha Distel, probably I, um, one of the few people who were old enough to remember him. <laughs> yes, I, I am actually named after Sasha Distel. Um, and you know, when I was at school, there were no other Sasha. Sasha was just a girl's name. Uh, so when I was young, I used to get my leg pulled quite a bit. Not not bullied, but you know, it wasn't. There was a few unpleasant jokes. But now I quite like it. It just you know, it it's, it is different. Yeah, and it's memorable, and as I say, fits yeah. very well into the industry sector that you've ended up in. Um, so, so tell us about that, because I know um, from uh, conversations that I've had with people and things I've read about, you're a grammar school boy, um, but I don't think you were a particularly academic sort of uh, student, and therefore, when you left school, you, you weren't... Uh, you weren't stuck with, uh, with O-levels, A-levels and everything else, were you? Well, no, actually, I did all right. So um, I, I went to a very good grammar school, Manchester Grammar, um, and I did well at my GCSEs, okay. straight A's. Um, but then what happened, unfortunately, for, well, fortunately, but for, unfortunately for my parents, uh, there was this thing that's exploded called Manchester that you probably you were part of. And, um, you know, you, we, before we started this, you and I were talking about the Hacienda and obviously Factory Records and Stone Roses, New Order, James, Happy Mondays, the list goes on. Yeah. And at that time, wherever you were in the world, if you were into music and, and fashion as well, you were looking at what we were doing in Manchester. You know, we were the centre of the earth and everybody was looking for us to lead. Um, and now I thought to myself, well, actually, that's really more exciting than English lit history. And, you know, I enjoyed art, actually. Uh, art was the thing that I got a kick out of. But it just wasn't for me at all. So now I, I at Manchester Grammar, I've still got the yearbook. And it's literally A to Z of the surnames. It's Oxford, Cambridge, Oxford, Cambridge, St. Andrews, Oxford, you know, all these mega 
Edinburgh mega universities and stuff, and it, it, me is just a blank. So I left and didn't know what to do. Um, and my first job was working in a clothes shop called Flannels, the original Flannels in Goose Green in Altrincham, uh, getting 20 quid a day. And then what happened was they were, the people were coming in who were buying very expensive clothes. And, you know, we're talking 1989, 1990, and I could not get my head around how somebody could spend my week's wage on a t-shirt. That's crazy, or a pair of jeans. I just couldn't even start to fathom that out. So the penny sort of dropped with me a little bit thinking, do you know what, if you want to have a bit more comfort in life, you're gonna have to take a bit more risk than working uh, at flannels every day. So I carried on that job and I started at a market store uh, from probably your neck of the woods, sounded by your accent, in, in Liverpool, a place called Stanley Dark Market. Yeah. Um, every Sunday, and what I'd do is I'd buy um, leather jackets from somewhere in Weatherby, and they sold, manufacturers sold jackets to Next Catalogue. And it was, it was crazy. If a button was missing or a zip was slightly not right, they'd sell it to me for 40 quid, and I could send it to the dry cleaners, get it fixed and you know, flog it for 80, 90 quid. So it just starts it. And to this day as well, I'm not, I'm not having to go at, at Scousers because it's not the right time to do it. We're all coming together as one. But I used to have 10 jackets at a time because obviously cash flow is quite tight. And I used to line them all up around the stall and I put a chain through one arm, through the jacket into the other arm so that it was physically impossible to steal a leather jacket from me. Every single week one got nicked. And to this day, I still cannot work out there must be like some Sir Houdini stuff that's taught over there in Liverpool because <laughs> I, I could not stop it. Um, but, you know, I carried on going to venues, clubs, listening to the music, and I just took the plunge. Uh, 4th of July, 1994, I held my first night, which was a, a party at the Hacienda, um, and that kick-started it. I've not looked back since. And it was never meant to be a career. It was meant to do something that I enjoyed and at the time to pay a few bills. Um, and yeah, I never looked back from there. It's a, it's a fascinating tale, Sasha. And I think the motivation uh, behind many entrepreneurs' stories is often, uh, I want to better myself. I want to have a few bob in my pocket. Uh, you're looking at your peers, as you say, in flannels at the time, thinking, well, if they can afford £100 per pair of jeans, I want to be able to afford that as well. Um, but what always strikes me in conversations with personalities such as yourself is that eye for an opportunity, the eye for the commercial win. And so, you know, at what age would you have been when you spotted the fact that leather jackets were, were going cheap and you could turn them around and make a book out of it? Well, I, I've, I've never sat down and considered myself as a, an entrepreneur, but when I talk to people about my stories, they say, well, hang on, you were doing it from an age before you even realised. And when I was at Flannels, I mean, they can't sack me now and they can't tell me off. So, you know, I can tell the story, but I used to get staff discounts, 50%. So my mates who had wealthy parents used to come in the week before, choose what they want, and I'd give them 75%, uh, sorry, give them 25% discounts. Yeah. And I'd back 25 myself. So, you know, probably whilst I was there, I was making money on the side. <laughs> which is a bit naughty of me, but everybody won. I knew what the markups were anyway, so they were still making money. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I say, I think that is entrepreneurial. It depends on 
how people define entrepreneurs. And I think sometimes people are identified as entrepreneurs who don't fit into that category. Uh, but I think you certainly do. Uh, and let's just reflect for a moment on the scene in Manchester at that time, uh, because I think we're all looking for uh, memories and a reminder of how good life will be again, uh, hopefully in the not too distant future. And as you rightly say, Sasha, at that time, Manchester was the centre of the universe. Um, I know that, uh, you know, the Manchester thing took off massively across the globe. Some great bands emerged from that time, of course. The Hacienda then was the, the cathedral for all of that activity and happening. And of course, Tony Wilson was, was a hugely successful in terms of PR, but also had his own uh, links and, and job with Granada Television, which helped um, catapult the, the whole Manchester brand into people's psyche in the north and beyond. What are your sort of fondest memories from that time? And there must be many, many of them. There were, but I think, I think a, a big mistake from a lot of people is they think about that period as being many years of success. And it wasn't actually, it was probably condensed into a two to three year period. The, the Hacienda for the first quite few years was dead, yeah. um, losing money hand over fist. And, and in fact, even when it was absolutely rammed, it was still losing money hand over fist for whatever reasons. I think, why did that happen? that period of time. I think it's because Manchester and Liverpool as well and Sheffield and Leeds were so neglected during the late 70s and 80s. It was a pretty grim, dismal time. So all of a sudden you had this influx of music, new music that was catapulted by the likes of Mike Pickering, the DJ, you know, Tony Wilson supported it, Rob Greffin supported it. Although they didn't to begin with, they were quite reluctant because the Hacienda was a live music venue to begin with. Um, so this thing happened and I think it was almost a bit like, not anarchy, but we created, because we've been neglected and left for so long, we were created our own big party. Um, and I think, you know, you have, you have to mention it, you know, it's not a great thing, but it's also coincided with the, the discovery of ecstasy um, and, you know, this city, the city region were bouncing for a period of time, um, you know, many, many months before the police actually realised what on earth was going on. Um, so, yeah, they were, there were some very fond memories of that period, you know, walking into a, a venue where there were 1,600 people and it didn't matter whether you were a student, whether you were earning 20 quid a day like me, whether you were a lawyer, whether you were unemployed. Um, that's pickle, I'm afraid, in the background, Mark. Um, you know, it really didn't matter. Everybody's coming together for this escapism that weekend. Um, and also in those days, suit, uh, clubs were very much suits, ties, mm. smart shoes. It didn't matter that you wore your jeans, your t-shirts. It wasn't about labels. It was just, you were there for the music actually. So they were very fond memories. I think that it came with a very dark side as well. You know, there were most definitely places in that venue and many other venues as well across Greater Manchester where you had to avoid, corners where you had to avoid. Because at that stage, most definitely the security were run by the gangs, whether it's Salford or Mossad or Cheatham Hill. You know, and it was, there, were, there were some very, very tense moments. Myself, I've been shot at twice, and that's quite been publicised quite a bit. It wasn't targeted at me, but it was targeted at the security. And on the second occasion, 
was outside Home Nightclub actually. Uh, and we spoke about Tom Bloxham before, who was a great guy behind Urban Splash. Um, and I remember so clearly that this car came around the corner and they, they shot at the front door. And I was holding the guest list at the time, it's a Saturday night. And all these huge six foot two guys ran indoors, shut the doors and left me out there with a clipboard. And I was thinking, well, that's not really fair. Um, so yeah, there's some, there, there were some very dark moments as well. You know, the whole scene was very raw in those days. It's certainly far more professional now and the authorities have stamped out any of the dark side that, that was going on. Mm. Um, so I think it's, I think it's a more pleasant time to work in. Mm. Yeah, I, th I think that's probably true. And I think the um, analysis that you've given there of northern towns and northern cities at that time uh, is a very accurate one. And of course, you know, we did go through a period of deindustrialization, lots of job losses, you know, millions, literally millions of people unemployed. And places like Liverpool, Manchester, Sheffield, you mentioned as well, were among the hardest hit. But out of that came this flurry of cultural uh, activity, an explosion almost of talent. And what I've, I've always admired about Manchester, and this is something that perhaps has stuck in the craw of Scousers for, for some years, but they start, football. they've started to... Our football. Yeah, <laughs> apart, apart from the football, which, which I think... Yeah, I don't really want to talk about that from any level <laughs> at the moment, being an Evertonian. But I, I think what I've admired about Manchester over the last 20, 25 years is the fact that you had that, as you say, that window of three years. And, you know, that's happened in many other places across the UK. So you can point to particular cities and say, right, during that period, that was their golden time. And then it moved on. And that city either went into decline or maybe it just went on and did something a bit differently. And I'll use my own uh, city as an example of that. So the 60s, the Beatles, football at the time as well, Everton, Liverpool, Bill Shankly had come into the city, obviously an iconic figure. Everton were the Mersey millionaires at the time. So you had all of that cultural activity, all that goodwill, fantastic energy about the place. And then the 70s came and Liverpool fell off a cliff. What I admire about Manchester, and it does it still to this day, is it has a success, and then it says, okay, what next? It's not nostalgic about the past. It'll mm. celebrate the past when it's right to do so, but you very quickly think, okay, that chapter of our history is closed now. It's about the next thing. And I think both in terms of your business leaders, and perhaps more importantly in this context, your political leadership, that's the way in which Manchester has maintained its momentum. I think you're right. We're, we're very good at um, recreating ourselves, very good at um, you know, coming back bigger and stronger. And you only have to look very, very recently at the 22nd of May 2017 after the arena attack. You know, the whole world were looking at Manchester uh, during that period and the whole community came together. Didn't matter politically what colour you were, didn't matter with football what colour you were didn't matter what nationality you were, we all came together. And we can remember the scenes at in St. Anne's Square or the One Love gig. Um, again, looking back quite a few years ago, I forget the actual year, but the original, the very, very original uh, IRA bomb that happened outside Marks and Spencers. Right. Um, that I, I remember, you know, that the city came back and I have to say it's through the leadership of Sir Howard Bernstein, the, the, the city came back 
a far, far better, stronger city centre than we could ever possibly have imagined. You know, all the, the brand names that we take for granted now, when you walk on King Street and you look at the likes of DKNY and, you know, Armani, Spinning Fields, and, you know, the, the huge global names, they were never there before the IRA bomb. But they came and arrived after that when they saw what the city were going to do. So I think that was a really big turning point for us. But I think when you talk about the council, they saw the wider picture with regards to um, the entertainment world, the hospitality, what happened with the Manchester explosion. And that, that brought not just global attention, but it brought millions and millions and millions into the nighttime economy. And they've really had a good understanding of that. So I'll give you an example when Park Life is on for that one weekend, just for two days, uh, forget what happens within our perimeter, but we bring about 13 million into the local economy, whether that's taxes, whether it's hotels, uh, restaurants, new outfits. And that means a lot to the city region just over two days. Likewise, I think with the warehouse project, we brought 15 million in um, in the last season. So, you know, it, they understand how important the hospitality industry is. At the moment, we've got bars that are shut, clubs that are shut, restaurants that are shut, nightclubs, cinemas, theatres, it's absolutely decimated. But, you know, I, I can tell you that in the next couple of days, we are going to be creating a Greater Manchester Hospitality Task Force because we're starting to hear the word recovery quite a bit now, which is nice to hear. Um, you know, we are seeing other countries in Europe and China, you know, that are starting to turn that release tap. So it's going to be interesting how it happens. I've got a few ideas how it's going to happen. They're not necessarily correct, but I think I'm going to be right on it. Um, but yeah, we've, we've always taken, you know, hospitality is the fifth biggest industry in the whole of the UK. And um, a lot of councils, local authorities don't really give it the acknowledgement it's due because they see it comes with trouble, antisocial behavior order, they think of urination on the streets. And that, you know, that does happen. It does happen. We can't disguise that or hide that. But think about how many jobs it creates. In Greater Manchester alone, it's 414,000 jobs. Um, you know, it, it's, abs as I say, it's the fifth biggest industry, so it can't be ignored. And I think before this whole COVID-19 happened, uh, one of my big things was the nighttime economy was propping up the high streets that were failing, the traditional high streets. And we know exactly the reasons why they were failing, the likes of Amazon um, and other large names. And, you know, I'm to blame for that. I can be lazy and sit on the couch and order my shaving foam without having to go to bed anymore. Um, but you, you look at examples like Altrincham, where five years ago, it was one of the most boarded up streets in the whole of the UK, boarded up town, sorry. And... Altering a market happened, and now there's loads of small independent bars, restaurants around there. And last year, it won the best UK, UK high streets of the year. So that's how important the hospitality industry is. And um, we are going to come back bigger. We're resilient. We're going to come back stronger. Yeah, and, and that optimism is good to hear, Sasha. I'm sure many people who are listening today will welcome uh, that positive outlook. Um, I just want to take you back to that first gig that you organized you talked about uh, getting into the hacienda and and how that went and then what that really did in terms of mapping out your future because presumably that went okay given where you've ended up and and you mentioned briefly there park life how how that then eventually came about as well 
So um, starting by my first gig, um, so the idea was to put a student night on at the Hacienda on a, uh, a Monday night. So firstly, my biggest mistake was uh, I chose the date the 4th of July. There are no students here on the 4th of July. They've all gone home. They finished their exams. So that was, the, that was the first big error. The second big error, and actually the contract is in there. Uh, it's, it's still on my wall in the office at home. They charged me £1,000 plus VAT for a Monday night in 1994. A, I guaranteed they never paid the VAT on it. And B, no one in their right minds would ever pay £1,000 for a Monday night 26 years later. So that, that, that was a big flaw. So I, I sort of thought that because it was the Hacienda, you know, I'd put my flyers out. This is before Facebook, before the internet, before anything like that. Uh, I thought I'd put the flyers out and people start buying tickets. It didn't work like that. So automatically, I realized there were going to be some big debts uh, building up from the Had the DJs, had the print, had the high fee, security. And you didn't want to mess with the security. You know, you had to, had to pay everybody. So... Um, I went around the hot, every single shop in the city centre. This is really bad, actually. And I, and I, uh, and I lied. I said to them, look, um, I'm from the Hacienda. That was a lie. I wasn't. I was just promoting the night. So I'm from the Hacienda. Um, thank you for allowing us to put all our flyers and posters in your shops over the last 12 months. And as a thank you, this coming Monday, we're going to allow two people from the shop to come in absolutely free of charge. But you mustn't tell anyone about it because this week we've got, that Monday we've got United coming down, Take That are going to be in there, M people are in there, list up all these names. And I managed to get 800 odd people, I think it was 804 people turned up. I made about 700 quid, which for me, 700 pounds was a serious amount of money, cleared a lot of debts. Um, yeah, pulled it off. And there were a few people complaining, but luckily I knew someone who knew Justin Orange, who's Jason Orange's identical twin. So whenever I had a few beers, I was like, oh, Jason Orange over there. I can tell you that. I managed to, to get away with it. Um, but no, my next port of call was that the Hacienda already had its own weekly student nights. So I approached Tom Bloxham, who had a nightclub called Home Nightclub. Um, and he also, he set up Bar Bar as well, the chain of, of um, bars. Um, so, and Tom allowed me to do every Tuesday, a student night, and that just sort of kicked off my career from there. Fantastic. And, and the rest is history, so to speak. But as I say, you, you touched, uh, you briefly mentioned Park Life. What, what was the uh, motivation behind that, Sasha? Well, I think you need to move back a few years from that. I did um, student years up until, uh, student parties up until the year 2000, so for about six years. And then I reopened a nightclub called Sankey Soap from 2000 to 2006. And um, Sankey's has actually been open between 94 and 98, but it had a few issues regarding drug dealing and gang violence and stuff. So it closed, but people loved the venue. So um, I decided it'd be a good idea to convince the authorities to reopen it again, because times had changed and luckily they did. And we had some fun times there, but the problem with it was it was the same four walls week in, week out. And I kind of got quite bored with it, if I'm being honest. Um, so we set up the warehouse project and the idea was just to set up a project. It was myself and Sam, my business partner. And the project was to run for 12 weeks from October the 6th until uh, New Year's Day um, in 2000. And Sam went away and booked these mental lineups. We sold 100,000 tickets and that was it. We just, we've not looked back since. Um, so the warehouse project, you know, it's in its, uh, what are you in? It's 20th. 
no, 14, 15 season it'll be. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going from the strength to the strength. Last season was at Mayfield, where every Friday and Saturday we sold 10,000 tickets uh, over 25 shows, which you know, a quarter of a million tickets during that period. It's just crazy. But we noticed there was a, a gap in the market. No one was doing a really good end of year student party as such. So we decided to put a party on in Platfields. And originally it was just one day. Um, and we booked five arenas, but it didn't stack up just to have five arenas one day, 20,000 people. So the night before we did a standalone gig with Ian Brown. Um, and yeah, both, both nights sold out. So we said, well, that was the, the launch of Park Life. So then we went back to the council and said, look, sold out one day, so can we do two days, 20,000 people a day on the, on the Saturday and Sunday? Um, which was fine. The only problem was there's a church in the middle of Platfields um, and they insisted between, I think it's six and seven, they had to have a sermon. So we weren't allowed to play the music. So what we did was we got all these performance, no, the license said no amplified music, that was it. So we got all these um, performers to go around doing like acrobatics and banging the drums and things like that. But at six o'clock, Everybody had had that much to drink already. The music had stopped. No one stopped dancing for an hour. And we were stood there thinking, this is like really, really, really weird. Um, but yeah, it was just the following year again, sold out. It was bulging at the, the seams. So it was the council that convinced me to move it to Heaton Park, which I was reluctant to do, actually. I wanted to move it to Widdenshaw Park, which would have been far more manageable in terms of walking there for students. But they were right, the infrastructure was there, the Stone Roses have played there successfully, Oasis have played there successfully. And we're now the biggest metropolitan festival in the UK with a capacity of 80,000, which we were due to sell out. We, we, the day we canceled, we had done 76,534 tickets. Oh, wow. um, so we were well on for a record sellout. Yeah. Um, but it was the right decision, we had to do it. And we did it before the government insisted because it would have been irresponsible for, for us to carry on. And we did the same with the warehouse project as well, actually. We were running a few shows and we said, you know what, it's, it's not right to carry on. Um, so yeah, we, we stopped it. Uh, you, you must obviously be gutted about the, the fact that you've had to cancel the show, but as you say, you've done it for the right reasons. And, and let me just um, hone in on that issue for a second, because we mentioned how important the hospitality sector is to the UK. I'm, I often wonder whether our national politicians are as attuned to that as our regional politicians. I know Steve Rotherham, Andy Burnham, Joe Anderson, very conscious of the importance of the hospitality sector. But I think back to that press conference that the Prime Minister did um, just a month or so ago now, where he advised everybody not to go to the pub. You know, he just stood up in a press conference, no warning to anybody in the sector, no warning to anybody in business, it seemed to me. And just said to everyone, stop going to the pub. But then didn't follow that up with any sort of support package for that sector. And therefore, you know, you will know far more people within the industry than I do, Sasha. But those I know, they felt totally abandoned at that point. And, you know, it was a real kick in the bollocks for them, wasn't it? And, and I, I hope that lessons have been learned. But I'm, I'm still hearing stories about, you know, the, some in the sector still not necessarily getting the support that they need to survive this thing. 
No, you're right. And, and your very first question was, do the government understand the importance of the hospitality industry as much as the likes of Andy Burnham and Steve Rotherham? And the simple answer is no, they don't. They don't get it. So when um, Boris Johnson stood up on that Monday, and again, you used the word advise, he advised people not to go to bars, clubs, restaurants. It was so badly thought out, he decimated the industry in that one sentence because restaurants are still open, bars are still open, they were fully staffed, they were fully stocked, they were ready to go, and clearly nobody was going. So it was an absolutely ill-thought-out knee-jerk reaction. That they came back a few days later, I think it was the Friday or the Thursday of the Friday, with some measures that actually some of the measures, to be honest, are quite good. Things like the VAT breaks, the business rates, um, introducing furlough, but in the four days had passed, too much damage had been done within those four days. So, and even now, with all this time that's passed, I know people who have just set up new businesses in the hospitality industry who don't have any previous self assessment forms. Um, you know, that I know people who are not qualifying for grants. And I, I'm not going to mention his name because it's, it's, you know, it's not right, but I've used since. 2006, in my experience, the best sound engineer that this country has. And this sound engineer has worked with, works with Massive Attack every single time. He always went on tour with the Prodigy worldwide. Obviously, he won't now because the Clint's not here anymore. But um, he's amazing. And he's gone from being the world's best to he's now working in Tesco um, because times are hard and needs are must. And, you know, so many things like that make me so sad. Um, they just hadn't thought it through properly. And I think rather, I think that Monday, if he hadn't said, we advise you not to go out, and it perhaps waited a few more days, and I know it's a, I know it's a balance, and I know they've got a really hard, tough job to do. So they're always going to make mistakes. But I think that was a huge one for our industry. I really do. I think... The virus was spreading, but they hadn't thought about it quick enough. And it's not time now to point fingers at anybody because we all need to be working together to get through this as best we can. But we are now seeing that they were slow to react on lockdown. They were slow to react on PPE. They were slow to react on tests. And you're thinking, do you know what? It was six months ago that you were saying, Great Britain, we're now standalone. You know, we're not part of you know you're and you're thinking we are standalone but it's bloody embarrassing isn't it you know you look at what germany has done my counterpart in germany now is having good strong conversations about opening nightclubs brilliant he knows exactly where he stands he's got dates everything um they're starting the slow release we're not even having those conversations at the moment we're far behind um and i think we're possibly the furthest behind in europe actually mm. Yeah. Um, so it's very, very, very disappointing. But again, that does come, you know, it's a hard job. It's unprecedented times. Everybody uses that word unprecedented. It is, you know, they're moving on a day-to-day basis and we should, we should really help them. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, we're here to support each other at the moment. But yeah. once we're through this, and we will get through it, then it's time to say, listen, you cocked up. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the other issue though which is being picked up in terms of the care services and the health service at the moment but not so much again the hospitality sector i mean we've been operating in london for about a year or so now 
uh, but this is true in other cities, Manchester included, is the importance of European workers to that sector. Uh, and again, we were saying to the government for months and months now that there needs to be exceptions for those that are working in hospitality. And then, of course, Pretty Patel came out and said, well, unless you earn, I can't remember what the figure was now, you know, £99,000 a year or whatever it was, then <laughs> sorry, you're going back home. Yeah. Now, we've, we've got to, you know, we've got to take this opportunity surely now of going back to the government and saying, well, look, you, you've, you've pulled the rug out of us with that daft announcement, however well-intentioned. And, it, you know, I'm not suggesting that the prime minister knew what was going to happen on the back of his announcement. But nevertheless, we, we know now what did happen. Can we now have actually take another look at what key workers actually are because in the hospitality sector if you overnight take away european workers then th th there's potentially going to be a crisis sadly i have to say sasha we're potentially in a position where some people are going to lose their jobs over the next few months but you know where i'm coming from yeah i think sadly you know i am a positive person but most definitely 100 percent i don't have to be doom and gloom we have to be realistic people are going to lose the jobs some businesses are going to fail um pretty patel i think she came out with the initial figure of thirty-one thousand um as the benchmark and then she realized that that did not cover majority of our nurses the nhs the frontline staff that at the moment are saving everybody's lives so she revisited it and came back and then i think she, she said twenty-eight thousand after that yeah. And then she announced that possibly her parents wouldn't have qualified coming into the country. So that's just another example of how stupid um, some of the decisions they've made have possibly been. But, you know, that's enough of that. I think once we're through this, all rule books, in my opinion, should be torn up. Um, you know, we have got many, many key workers across the NHS at the moment saving lives who perhaps if the rules had been put through shouldn't the shouldn't's not the right word wouldn't be here now so they're they're risking their lives to stay our lives so it's it's not not just in the, in the hospitality it's every single industry throughout the whole of the uk economy it has to be re-looked at um because it was just it was it was such a wrong call absolutely now, final question for me, because we've got lots of people who've sort of emailed in and uh, I'll put some of their questions to you as well. But um, two, two parts of this question, I suppose. Um, first of all, you know, again, a, a fabulous title, uh, the czar for the uh, nighttime economy for Greater Manchester, working alongside Andy Burnham and his colleagues at the Combined Authority. Um, so I want you to, to sort of explain how that came about, but then more importantly, perhaps for where we are at the moment, you've mentioned the establishment of a, a hospitality sector task force, which I think is a great idea. Um, but what are the other things that uh, you're doing in that role at the moment to begin to look at how we get out of uh, this crisis and we can build to recovery quickly? So I'll tell you how it came about. Um, so... When it was agreed that Greater Manchester would have devolved powers, um, I'd always had a, a bugbear that not all the authorities worked on a, a level playing field. So I think across Greater Manchester, all licensing should be under like an umbrella because why are things different? In, um, and they're not doing anything wrong. I'm just picking them as an example. There are 10 boroughs. So why would a license be different in Stockport and say Wigan? Um, so when 
it was agreed that we were going to have uh, a mayor for Greater Manchester. I went to a couple of the, the hustings and asked them questions about the maritime economy. And the questions were, you know, do you find it important? Would you, um, as London had, would you support the idea of maybe a board or a commission of people to lend advice and support? And luckily for us, Andy Burnham won that. Um, and I always thought they'd be like a, a board of people. Um, we know as, you know, I think it was 10 days or two weeks after his appointment, I mentioned it before, we had the arena attack. Um, and then there was the Wanla concert. And the Wanla concert was absolutely fantastic. The whole world were looking at that. But it was, the, you know, the Justin Bieber's, the Miley Cyrus's um, of the world were playing that. And then the week after we had Park Life. So I wanted to do something that was more Manchester, more Greater Manchester. And we fortunately, with that year, by complete fluke, we bought the 1975s. And obviously, Matty Healy's Manchester-based. So... Um, I said, well, look, do you know what? Let's get on stage, all the first responders, so the paramedics from that night, uh, emergency services, the police, taxi drivers that helped out, the hotels opened the, the room. Let's get all those people on stage. And I invited Andy to come up with a couple of councillors from the city centre. And he made this really nice, impassioned speech. And then he invited on Matt Healy uh, from 1975s. Um, and it's actually, you can still see it on YouTube. You, you could see 80,000 people there listening to every single word you could hear a pin drop but I think the conversations just started from then and 12 months after that he asked me to um we've been bouncing ideas off after each other he asked me if I'd, I'd take on the role of the time economy advisor which I was I'd say is one of the most proudest moments of, of my career um and yeah it, it started from there and we'd been doing such amazing great work uh, during an 18 month period we created a, a blueprint for Greater Manchester, uh, which was setting out my vision. How and, and things were really moving. We we're creating safety havens across GM. Um, it, it would, we were doing so many initiatives. We extended the the trams um, last December to buy an extra hour to get people home. Um, and you know what? Well, obviously, things are stalled. We'd achieved all the points we wanted on the blueprint, um, and we were talking about the next one for the next four years. Um, and Clearly now, clearly all it's going to be about is recovery. How do you come out of this? How do we recover? And, and that's why we're setting up this task force to deal with that. Um, so, yeah, it's strange times, huge curveball. Um, but I have a great relationship with uh, Andy, Andy's full team in the combined authority. I think we're really lucky that he loves his music and his bands. Um, it gives me a, a bit of a head start. Um, one of the things I really wanted to do actually when this was all happening was um, I wanted to entertain people um, and we set up something called, I don't know if you've seen it, we set up something called United We Stream. How could you not see it? How could yeah, anyone well, not see it? We didn't, know whether it? we didn't know whether it would work or not um, mm -hmm. and the idea was we'd entertain people in their own home to stay at home, listen to the music and you know, enjoy the party. And if you can donate a pound, two pound, three pounds, donate it because it's going to go straight back into the nighttime economy. We're going to help Rough Sleeping and an amazing charity called Nordoff Robbins as well. Um, and it's been phenomenal. We've operated three weekends. That's it. 4.7 million people have watched it. I don't want to announce the figure until the end of this month, but we're well into the six figures, well into the six figures. And it's, the response has been incredible. Um, it's one of the biggest platforms in, in Greater Manchester that's reiterating the stay home message. So we've had support from 
everybody. Um, and I, I mean, it's keeping me very, very busy, put it that way. Thank God Park Life has cancelled because I don't know how I'd, you know, I don't know how I would have pulled it off. But it, yeah, an amazing team behind, you know, I'm, it's the same part and warehouse people just mention me, but I'm just the old face that gets dragged out to say things. It's always the team behind that make everything happen. And, you know, quite often you'll see a press release or something. And, and I've given the words in my own rubbish language, but, and they craft it so it actually looks good. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of work for everybody. And we've got some really exciting things coming up, actually. We are doing another Hacienda event, which seems to be the big explosion that went viral. Um, and I think my biggest lesson from that was, it was really nice. It was a 12-hour party. We started at midday until 5. And then we had a break five till six and it's six till midnight. We had all the American DJ streaming in. So the likes of Dave Morales, um, Roger Sanchez, Todd Terry. But five till six was a Q&A with John Robb. And it was Peter Hook from New Order, um, Graham Park. Uh, who else? Sean Ryder. And the biggest learning for me was never, ever ask Sean Ryder to do a live Q&A <laughs> before nine o'clock. Because I was, I was sat outside in the garden, and I'll be honest, I'd had a, probably a couple of glasses of wine. <laughs> and I was really getting into the event, and I was loving it, and I was loving all the old music. And then the sentence that Sean said, where, and I, there was no context to it. He said, a band member from the Happy Mondays was banging a tranny. <laughs> at that point, I was like, I was expecting to be taken off pulled down completely because he had the mayor's loaf on it and I was like <laughs> so that was my that was the biggest learning from that um, but luckily luckily uh yeah no one from the combined authority watched it or, or, or if they did they've decided not to mention it just like get through it uh, but I, it's an exciting project and we're we've had some corporates come on board recently which is good and it's really helping because with the one two three pound day donations are amazing we had one yesterday, £10.26. And it's so specific and it's been bothering me. I'd love to know why the 26 <laughs> But um, because it's such a, a, a well-viewed platform now, people are starting to realise, actually, we can put our adverts on that. So you probably saw last weekend size, the trainer shop, we're putting adverts on it. Um, so it's just taken a bit more of a curve as well. So no, it's, it's good. Yeah, brilliant. Good. Yeah. Listen, congratulations to you and the team that have put that together because it has been an absolutely amazing initiative. One of the standouts of many amazing initiatives that have uh, taken place over the past three weeks or so. Uh, mm. You know, I'm sure if, uh, well, I'm sure Andy was watching that interview and uh, luckily he's got a good sense of humour. So he'll have, he'll have enjoyed Sean Ryder's comments, I'm sure. Well, you see, we've been in lockdown. He's not seen me yet, so I'm still expecting to clip over the head. <laughs> oh, he, he'll have definitely seen it, and he'll have appreciated yeah. it, no question. Listen, you know, I have to say, when you're talking about good things that, that come out of, of the hospitality industry, actually, um, during times like this, and this just shows the resilience of our city region. So probably three weeks ago, I was contacted by Greater Manchester Police to say, look, we are urgently running out of hand sanitizer. So I just put something out on my social media to say, you know, we need a supply of hand sanitizer. Does anyone know where I can get some from? And there's a, a gin company called Didsbury Gin um, who quite very quickly realized that alcohol is one of the main components in hand sanitizers. They stopped their production and they completely sorted the whole of Greater Manchester Police 
this problem with no hand sanitizer, as did a paint company as well. It's brilliant. You know, we've got an, an amazing chef called um, Mary Ellen, who has a restaurant called The Creameries in Shorten. So she's got, along with somebody else called Corinne Bell, hundreds and hundreds of volunteers and chefs on board now. And she's saying to all the restaurants across our city region, look, you've got loads of stock, you're doing nothing with it, give it to us. And they are making 6,000 meals a week to give out to the most vulnerable people. The Ivy and Spinning Fields are making 3,000 meals a week just for the ambulance service. I mean, that is Manchester, that is Greater Manchester. Um, and you know, I'm not, I'm not pointing things at any other city because everybody's doing their own amazing things. You know, some I'm aware of, some I'm not, but just stories like that make you so proud. In fact, one of my business partners, Rich McGuinness, who um, he's Irish actually, but all his business is based in Liverpool. He runs Nightlight Circus and he's got a bar called The Merchant. Um, and he bought yesterday from, from his own pocket six 3D printers and he's making PPE. Um, so it's stories like that are just, you know, yeah. incredible. Yeah, they really are. It brought out the best in people. I think that's uh, that's a big positive we can say. Sasha, I've got literally hundreds of questions <laughs> come through here. I can't get through them all, so apologies um, for those who um, who I don't get to. But um, first question I'm going to go to is uh, from Gaynor Black from GB Hospitality. Um, like Sasha, I sit on the Northern Board for Hospitality Action, the charity that is supporting the industry. So looking forward to who can up and learning from Sasha about United We Stream. Um, you, you've briefly mentioned there, Sasha, there are some further events planned. With United We Stream? Yeah. Yeah, no. So every uh, tomorrow night we're up again, actually. It's live bands. Um, so, yeah, we, we've got a huge 12-hour... Festival on Saturday. Um, it's every single weekend. This is constant. We're going to go right the way through. I mean, I was kind of, I was thinking of a stop point actually. Um, you know, when it is going to end, because my guess is we will. I think offices will be returning, not fully, but maybe on um, a skeleton level. I think we're returning kind of mid-May, third week in May. Then I think there'll be a slow release for some possible restaurants after that that can prove social isolating. It's easy for restaurants when it is bars because obviously you have tables to separate people. Um, so I think we're going to see, so my question my, in my head was when do I finish? And I was thinking second bank holiday in May, would it be great to do a part life festival mid June? But actually from speaking to the team, I think we've looked, I think we're going to leave a bit of a legacy here. So as a promoter, I know you need a bit of luck to be able to, well, I've had loads of luck. I mean, I've flukes, whatever, you know, has happened here. We know that, you know. And if they'll probably on my gravestone, I'll just say, you won't even say my name, actually, fucking flukes, that's it. But I think when, um, you know, as a promoter, I get so many emails with mixes from DJs, bedroom DJs on it, and I can't listen to all of them. And I get, you know, music from bands who recording in the mum and dad's front room. And they need a platform to actually be given an opportunity for people to hear and listen to them. So it's great that we're doing these things with bigger names and we are incorporating like tomorrow night, there's loads of local bands that maybe people haven't heard of, we're giving them a platform. But I think that's what we're gonna leave behind. And you know, you've only got, I mean, 
it would be great, but just, it, it probably won't happen, but Justin Bieber was found busking. If you just remember that, and then he was put on YouTube and then Scooter Braun signed him up, and you know, the rest is history. And there is so much talent across our city region that I would like to think that United We Stream, we can hand it over and um, Allied London have given us a recording studio, a purpose-built recording studio for the next two years once we're through this. So I mean, there's a great opportunity there not just for people to be discovered, but also for people who perhaps can't afford to go into a recording studio. Now, they're not cheap, so there's so many opportunities coming out of this. Yeah, great. Um, another one here from uh, Beverly uh, Gobbert of uh, Campaign for Real Ale. Um, so when do you envisage the government starting to allow hospitality venues to reopen? And more specifically, when would you envisage that the government will allow social gatherings of more than 500 unrelated people? Um, it, I think if you knew the answer to that question specifically, Sasha, you'd be a, a better person than I am. But nonetheless, uh, you, you may have a feel, an instinct as to when that may happen. So I do have a feel, and this is just a, a very gut feeling, and it, it's, a great, it's a great question. But, and there's a more important point attached to this as well. So I think the offices, as I said, will return in some form mid third week in May. I think June, the month of June, we'll see restaurants and smaller bars that can prove some form of social distancing reopen. I think larger gatherings are going to be quite a few months away. Um, so where that 500 figure fits in, I'm not too sure. But just with the campaign for real ale, I think what is so important is, again, the government have to really think this out because if they click their fingers and say, right, pods can open tomorrow, you can't open tomorrow because beer has a best buy date to begin with. So the industry has to come together and they've got to you know, do the deliveries. You've got to restock, you've got to restaff. So I think it's going to take they, the, the, the bars, the pubs, the restaurants will probably need a two to three week um, start date before you know before they're told and, and it, that could be catastrophic if you don't give us that yeah. you need a lead in time you really do yeah absolutely well let's hope we get the planning a bit better this time for coming out as we <laughs> than they did going in um, final one and this is um, a little bit more light-hearted um, you've been asking people to tweet the bars and restaurants they're looking forward to returning to afterwards which will be yours <laughs> You're gonna make oh, it really happy and piss off a load of people. <laughs> so, do you know what? I'll tell you how that came about. So we, we uh, you can't see it now, but obviously you can see Demi's making lunch there. Can you see? <laughs> making, making lunch in the background. But we were sat outside a couple of nights ago and we were debating where do we go for our very first meal. And actually we haven't really properly decided yet. But I thought it'd be really interesting to ask, ask people on social media. Um, and it went nuts. I think I've had over a thousand responses to it. Um, but what's really good, what's come out of that, and it's mainly independents, have DM'd me, thanking me for giving them a little bit of hope during these really dark periods. Because so many people, you know, there were absolute standout restaurants on there. So many times I saw... Carla mentioned, I saw Simon Wood's restaurant mentioned, um, you know, lo loads of El Gatanegra, loads of different restaurants have been mentioned and um, 
it, it, I, I know it gave them a bit of confidence, a bit of hope. And it does, you know, when I'm, I'm looking at socials and, and people saying, can't wait for the next warehouse project or, you know, it's such a shame Parklife's cancelled. What's the lineup like for next year? That get, it keeps you going. It does. You need yep. that positive, you know, surge, that positive energy. Um, and I did this again with bars and pubs again last night, actually. But I'll tell you another thing um, that's, that's really interesting for me. There have been some very, very strong platforms out there who have come together and really supported the industry. And, you know, Manchester Evening News, Isle of Manchester, The Mank, Manchester's Finest. Um, they, they've all supported each other and they've supported the industry. Um, and it's, it's just been incredible to see. I can't remember a time when so many good platforms have come together like that. Um, so yeah, I think, I think when we're through this, we all, myself included, really need to remember who have been the very, very good guys. And when you start spending your money, you start advertising. Remember those who've got staff who are still writing things at the moment at home, supporting people and giving them a bit of hope with no income coming in at the moment for advertising. Um, and likewise, the did begins of the world and, you know, go to creameries in Shorten. We must remember those people that supported us. We really must. Absolutely. Listen, Sasha, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you today. And I'm sure, if nothing else, the Greater Manchester hospitality and nighttime economy community will be far more optimistic than perhaps they were prior to this conversation. It's been a fascinating hour or so that we've had a chat. And I think the other thing is any young people that tune into this in terms of the video, don't worry too much about your first job. It's where you end up that matters most. And you've certainly come a long way since flannels, my friend. <laughs> thank you thank you very much appreciate that and hopefully we'll get you to a live event uh, in the not too distant future as well mate count me in for this year end of this year top man thanks okay. Sasha thanks very much thank you bye bye bye, bye.